think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 146. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday, Steelers Nation. Dave, the Pittsburgh Steelers three-day mandatory minicamp has wrapped on up. The team has broken for the summer. They will return July 26 when the Pittsburgh Steelers report to Latrobe, PA, and St. Vincent College for their 2023 training camp. Dave, how you doing? Doing great. Probably not doing as great as you are, right? You going to uh, Taylor Swift? Uh, oh, oh yeah, big oh, Swifty. You're you're Swifty, right? Me, me and Aaron Rodgers swaying, singing. <laughs> no, I will not be there. Every uh, everyone else in Pittsburgh will be there, but I will not be there. Yeah, look, it, it, that uh, looks like it's going to be. Boy, that's going to be a mess to clean up out there. I bet. Probably not as bad, bad as some of the, the the country concerts they have out there, right? Yeah, this uh, might rival rival a Kenny Chesney. We'll see. I don't okay. know. Okay. Uh, all right, uh, man, we better get after it. It feels like we got uh, uh, to put 10 pounds in a five-pound bag today, don't, <laughs> don't we? We do, and uh, just to tease this up front, you'll hear in a little bit more. Corsack is back, former Pittsburgh Steelers scout, doing some writing and podcasting for the sites. We talked to him about Corey Trice, Kenny Pickett, just a, a slew of topics, even Kendrick Green, and kind of talk about maybe why things weren't successful and have not been successful with Kendrick Green. So we'll talk to Mark here in just a little bit. But Dave, we we'll bounce start... all over the place in there, we don't do. we? We really do. But that's a really good conversation. It's less of, you know, interviewee and, and talking about Mark's, you know, scouting career, although it's kind of mixed in, but it's more just just talking Steelers like Dave and I are doing right now. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. But Dave, we'll dive right on into the Steelers mini camp wrapping up. Again, not really anything earth shattering or pressing that has to be discussed right now. I did think maybe we would hear about one of those linebackers getting signed, Kwiatkowski or Carter Jr. So far, nothing there today. Could be a day, could be two minutes after the podcast. That seems to be the way this thing goes. But uh, players speaking, coaches speaking, the offensive coaches speaking most recently. Some people are taking issue with Matt Canada's comments that they're trying to frame it as Canada saying nothing will change. And they're trying to frame it as in Canada saying that he had no hand in uh, building the offensive vision and kind of the direction this team's going to go in. Did you have any sort of issue or concern over any of those comments? No. And look, I mean, he's going to be framed in, in, in a negative light, unless, uh, unless this offense, you know, performs, you know, uh, makes strides and not only strides, great strides uh, uh, this season here. But uh, I, I think the way, 
He said things, and look, I mean, it probably is a directive coming down. Look, we want to be a fit, you know, with, with, with the way we have this roster built right now. Uh, the, you know, the directive probably is, you know, we are going to be, uh, play bully ball. I think that's been pretty evident with, with, uh, the way they address the draft and obviously free agency, uh, above that. You know, I know some of the comments too, you know, basically we are going to, you know, it's being framed as, as the offense isn't going to change. Well, uh, it's probably going to change in a degree of they have, you know, obviously some some elements, some players uh, that they're going to hopefully maximize their skill set overall. But but overall, I mean, is it a huge surprise? You know, anything that comes out of his mouth is it's, it's going to be highlighted. We got to score more points. I mean, how many times do we we hear that we'd be drunk right now if we if that was a drinking game uh, <laughs> at, at this point? Uh and he's also not going to give away too many secrets on uh, on top of him about how they're, you know, uh, some elements that we're likely to see more of versus how much of, of the stuff. And then also you got a second year quarterback. You're going to build on some of the likes and 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 dislikes that that he has coming out of his rookie season and all like that. So, I mean, overall, I mean, are, are we surprised with the things that was there anything shocking that you wouldn't tear apart as a as a negative narrative that 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 Matt Canada said no there's never been one thing he's ever said that was shocking to me and that's not a, a put down he's just a very cliche to the, to the vest to the vest yeah. kind of guy and that's fine I get that he doesn't want to make more headlines and waves and there probably already are and again you see people trying to turn his words a little bit I, I don't believe he ever said the the phrase you know we're we're not going to change I think that where people are extrapolating that is coming from Canada saying our identity, you know, we, we are who we are, right? Um, right. which, which is, which is fine in the sense of, you know, they're, they're building off the model of how Pittsburgh won down the stretch last year, which was running the ball, being physical, converting on third down, staying on schedule, winning time of possession, those types of things. And they're, they're going to hopefully have better personnel to be more effective at that. But that that's where Canada's comment is coming from in terms of the, you know, vision. I mean, Canada is still the OC. He's still going to call play, still help devise game plan. Omar Khan already told us this, though. The, the the vision was set by, and it's understandable, him, Mike Tomlin, and Art Rooney, the decision makers, the roster shapers. Those are the guys that are the ones that make decisions on who's getting signed, who's getting drafted, who's getting traded for. So, um, A, Khan's already told us who was involved in that process. It was not directly Matt Canada. Um, and B, you would expect it to be the case anyway, because Matt Canada is not involved in actual roster construction. So, to me, this is all much ado about nothing. There are still plenty of critiques of Canada, still a critical year, obviously a contract year for my Canada, but these comments are, are nothing burger as they say. And look, if they don't score more and you know, if they don't score more points and you know, obviously uh, Canada always likes to say it, it, it's a win loss business, right? Which it is. Uh, there, there is a degree of though. Are, are the wins going to be enough? Uh, versus the point scored. You know, where is the balance of wins versus points scored? Yeah, it, it, it's a fair point. Um, obviously, winning cures all. This team can win and win a playoff game. Then Canada's odds are staying increased. Now, if the offense is truly miserable and it's really on the backs of the defense, then that could change. It's all about the particulars. But obviously, if this team can find some success and traction and progression, that's going to increase job security across the board. 
Right. And I mean, look, the, the, the proof will be in the pudding. And we've, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum. You know, we expect them to run the football. But within that, there, you are going to obviously have to throw the ball uh, at certain points in the game. And uh, you got to have the explosive plays. You got to have the yards after the catch and and, 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 and and things of that nature are going to go along with it. Obviously, situational football is going to be huge. He talked about uh, 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 turning the football over last year. And, and look, I mean, that, that's no mystery, right? If you lose the turnover game, uh, or turnover battle in, in, in any NFL game, your odds decrease significantly when it comes to the outcome of the game. Yeah. And I think some have made the point and we've talked about this as well, you and I, that there was probably a more conservative slant to the offense post by don't make the mistake. We'll take the profit. A punt's better than a sack or a turnover. And so that may have in some ways hamstrung what Canada wanted to do, although it's not like it was all that creative or going great the first couple weeks of the year with Mr. Trubisky. But I do understand and acknowledge that, you know, this this team was pretty basic last year because it was kind of their way to to win games by not losing them by not turning the football over and the proof was in the pudding they didn't turn the ball over the second after the season they won a bunch of games nearly made it into the playoffs all right what else uh anything else come out of matt canada's mouth uh no <laughs> never yeah. never from him and, and, and that's fine again i'm not trying to to, to critique that uh let's talk about wide receivers coach frisman jackson in a short uh, i think interview there but mentioned about and George Pickens has discussed this as well about him needing to take a jump and specifically in Yak, basically the worst Yak receiver in football last year, in part due to his role being a vertical guy that doesn't lend, lend itself to a lot of Yak opportunities. But uh, as Pickens, as Jackson saying, I think Jackson said specifically, this is a, a dude that has to take a, a slant and go 60 to the house. So th that's kind of the real focal point for Pickens is improving that Yak. And boy, how many times have we talked about that uh, uh, dating back to last season there? And I think uh, specifically uh, uh, and, and, you know, we said when George Pickens came out that, you know, pretty much a vertical receiver uh, was going to have to develop more as a overall route runner. Uh, that remains the case. That's that sounds like the areas where he's going to have to improve on this year. You look back at uh, last season, he averaged, what, 2.3 yards post-catch in 2022. Now, to, to, to help, you know, kind of make up for that deficiency. He, you know, had a 13.1 yards average length of air yards per catch in 2022. So at least if he, you know, he wasn't getting the, and, and this isn't unique just to George Pickens, right? Uh, the yards after the catch. I mean, this entire team. Uh, so in other words, this is not me or you or, or anyone specifically knocking George Pickens. This is a team. This is an offense that needs to improve after the catch. But you know, with uh, the good thing about him is he was able to hide that stat for the most part because he was making catches down the field. Now, as far look, uh, sign me up for using him more uh, uh, on some slants, and hopefully he can you know uh, uh, take some of those uh, run uh, catch short run longs, uh, uh, one or two of them to the house. But even that, you know, how many more slant run after the catch opportunities in his second NFL season, you know, should, should we probably expect, uh, according to sports info solutions last year, he ran 20 
uh, slants in total. Uh, he was targeted three times on a slant in 2022 and caught two of those for 20 yards with eight of those coming out to the catch. And I believe uh, a good chunk of that came on that one play against the uh, against the Saints there uh, after, after the bye. And even in college, he wasn't used all that often uh, on slants. It looks like he ran 32 slants uh, in total over a span of three seasons that Georgia had eight receptions for 98 yards for three touchdowns on, on, on 11 total targets there. So, uh, but w- within all that, we need to see him develop more than just a vertical guy. I mean, we have seen what we saw in college, right? The vertical aspect of his game and where he needs to become a better player. He just needs to become a more well-rounded player. And look, to 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 some degree, it's not all of his fault because on some of the shorter passes, obviously, those were out routes or 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 or, or comebacks along those lines. So uh and for him to put up the numbers that he did. I, I think w- was really impressive overall. I mean, 52 catches. I mean, that's more than half of what he registered at Georgia in, 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 in three seasons there. And he had what, 801 yards and four touchdowns. So uh, he should make a nice, or you know, it should be expected that he has be one of these guys that potentially pushes for a thousand yards and maybe 70 catches if he progresses the way they want him to. Yeah, and I know he didn't run a lot of slants last year, so there really weren't a ton of yak opportunities, although I think there were some plays where, you know, he had some space and he kind of danced too much. There's that one clip, what, against the Raiders where he caught that pass on the left sideline and really didn't get vertical. I think, you know, there's a clip from NFL Films or whoever that has Tomlin talking to him about that, but his route tree should expand. You saw it did expand a, a bit more late last year. He worked in the slot more often, so... Uh, the yak should be there. I think there's certainly offensive schematic and structural components that have to change. I think that really impacted a guy like Deontay Johnson more than it did a George Pickens. So um, there's opportunities there. He's never going to be a yak monster, obviously, because he's still going to be the vertical type guy. But seeing those numbers come up is still going to be something to work for. Right. Anything else from the offensive coaches, Eddie Faulkner, Pat Meyer spoke, had a lot of good things to say about, you know, backup centers. So they have four or five capable guys there mentioning, I believe, Kendra Green, Nate Herbig said Nate Herbig was getting some snaps there. So that, that, that's important to note. He's got a tiny bit of experience at center in the NFL, despite primarily playing guard Spencer Anderson and Ryan McCollum as kind of being those names in the mix for that uh, backup center gig behind Mason Cole. Man, that's going to be interesting to watch play out the rest of this way, though, right? I mean, I, I know that I know that he, I, I hear what he's saying as far as having all these guys capable, capable uh, of that, and I mean, it's true. I mean, uh, obviously, you got a uh, a few guys that that have snapped before, but how you know how many of those guys are, are realistically going to be, you know in the running to be your true backup center. And is this still a position that they potentially address moving out of mandatory minicamp? Yeah, it's a fair point. It's the old adage. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, paraphrase it a bit. They say, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. If you have five backup centers, do you have one is going to be the question there. So they'll have to battle it out and not sure how that's going to look, how that's going to go, but it'll be one of those underrated battles of the summer. The focus will be on the left tackle job, the cornerback position, etc but really want to focus on that because mason cole while he is a tough sob he played hurt last year and all it takes is one snap for him to go down and you're on next man up for 
maybe the most critical position along that O-line or right up there with left tackle, the guy that's got to snap the ball, make the calls, be the center of literally of every single play. So it's something certainly to watch. If you had to bet right now, do you think this team goes outside and gets another guy or do you think it's on the roster? That's a great question. I really don't know. It wouldn't shock me at all if they went outside the organization, but it is tough to get a, an outside guy, you know, last second, because he's got no, no work in your offense, no work with your quarterbacks. And, you know, he's not going to get to really work with Kenny Pickett during the year or during, during practice. Cause he's running second team pickets with, with the one. So my guess is they'll find it and stick with an internal option, but it, it could go either way. What about uh, what Mike Sullivan said, especially about Kenny Pickett and especially coming off of you doing that fantastic uh, uh, hour plus video on, on, on breaking down every snap of Kenny Pickett last season? Yeah, I'll, I'll toot my horn here a little bit. I felt a little validated because I felt like a lot of what Sullivan had to say was a lot of the conclusions that I had in terms of pocket presence being a bit more consistent with the ball placement, I thought. Anticipatory throws have to probably be worked on a, a, a touch more. So I think there was a lot of things that he touched on that we talked about in, in my you know way too long video summary of Kenny Pickett. But you know I know Pickett's going to work really hard. I think Sullivan's a good coach. I mean, he's a, a big discipline technique kind of guy. So I, you know there, there's certainly confidence there that those things will get corrected. All right. What about uh, that number three running back spot? And Eddie Faulkner, some of the things he said. Yeah, it's wide open. And again, talk about those underrated battles that might not mean the most of the team in week one, but just in terms of guys trying to catch a roster spots, it's going to mean a whole lot to Anthony McFarland, going to mean a whole lot to Alfonso Graham and Faulkner. Talking up both about McFarland and the different skill set that he has compared to Najee Harris, compared to Jalen Warren, and mentioned Alfonso Graham and really had some, some high marks for him about his explosiveness um, you know, how well he's catching on, how eager he is to learn, put in the work, what he can do as a receiver. And I know the guy has a background on special teams as well. So, you know, he talked to McFarlane and you don't want to forget about him, but you feel like, you know, really he's kind of on borrowed time right now. I think Graham's the guy certainly to watch because he's got a different skill set and I think he could potentially become an impact special teams kind of guy. Okay, fair enough. Who, who else uh, position coach? Alfredo Roberts spoke your thoughts on what he said about the tight. He's very excited about the tight end room and kind of the different skill sets because it because each guy kind of has their own skill set. There aren't a lot of redundant players in that room with Frymuth versus Washington, Gentry and Connor Hayward. So it's a pretty unique room. Yeah, I kind of view him uh, on the offensive side like uh, like Denzel Martin uh, on, on, on the defensive side. That That's that's a nice room to have to work with there. Right. But he coached them up because he took all those guys in. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't right. handed those guys, you know. Right. Right. Uh, you know, but there are obviously some areas that you uh, I mean, without a doubt, uh, you have to see Fryermuth become a better uh, inline blocker. Uh, really, same goes for 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 Gentry there. And then, you know, what what can you do with a uh, you know, how much can you get out of a, a rookie like uh, Washington? You know, uh, based on what we know about him coming out of, out of out of Georgia, there. You know, obviously he's going to be primarily a blocker. How, how you know can you uh, refine that even more? You know, he's talked about his footwork uh, personally. Washington has and that aspect and how much that's opened up his eyes there. So uh, and then you have the whole Connor Hayward aspect of 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 what all can you get him to do. Uh, in in that offense, we've talked about that several times as well too. So yeah, if I if, if I if I'm him, 
uh, talking about Alfredo Roberts, I, I am very excited, but there there is room for growth, growth obviously with uh, with a couple of guys in that room. Any other final thoughts here, Dave? What do, what do players have to say? I really loved hearing from Dan Moore and Broderick Jones. Those are just two good dudes. And, and, and while it's going to be a battle and intense competition, and they're both fighting for for that job, I mean, they're really the two right people to do it in terms of just their makeup and humble and, and willing to work. And Broderick Jones talked about how Dan Moore is staying with him after practice, helping him because Listen, we love the draft. You know who doesn't typically love the draft? Veterans. Veterans do not like the NFL draft because it means guys that might come and take their jobs. But Moore's the guy that's embraced that. It's not shying away from the competition or having a, a first round pick, you know, right next to him. And you have to really appreciate that's going to be, I think it's going to be a really fun battle to watch. Those guys work really hard. They're going to go at it. And it's going to be a tough decision for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think I, I, I my main takeaway a is uh, both those guys definitely, you know, talk about culture quite a bit. We'll talk a little bit about with, with, with Mark Gorsak about that as well, too. Uh, have bought into kind of the cultural, uh, cultural, uh, culture aspect of, uh, the Steelers organization. Uh, I don't think either one of them assumes that they're going to be the week one uh, tackle at this point. And uh, you do like hearing the things that came out of their mouth that they, you know, that uh, especially with Moore uh, and, and Jones really praising him for staying after practice and helping them uh, when it comes to that. So, uh, the, you know, once again, I, I think if you look at this offseason in its totality, especially when it comes to things coming out of play. Uh, Alan Robinson, you know, there's been a lot of praise about what this guy is bringing. We, you know, we talked about that veteran presence uh, mm -hmm. in, in what is really uh, a, a younger uh, uh, room overall. And to have a guy like him uh, come in and for the, for these players, quarterback Kenny Pickett and, and all of them talk about kind of the things that he's bringing uh, to that room outside of just being a player. Uh, I, I think it's good to hear, but I, I, I think it goes back to the, us talking about the totality of, and it should, it, it shouldn't be anything other than that. I mean, it should be kind of expected every off season there, but I just think as a whole, the things that are coming out of everybody's mouth, especially player related, I don't think you could have any issue with, with what you've heard really in its totality that this, this off season. And I understand talking about the the offensive tackle battles that, you know, why Jones is viewed as the favorite and he may still be the favorite. But I wrote that article a month ago that said Dan Moore is not going to give up this left tackle job without a fight. And I think people are starting to understand that now. I got a lot of crap when I wrote that about, oh, Alex Jones is going to take the job. You're just kind of making a story here. I don't think it's a story at all. I think it's going to be a tough battle. Jones will have his struggles like any rookie, especially considering how raw he is. 19 career starts. In college, given, I think, the adjustment in Pat Meyer's system. So I think Jones will work hard. I think he'll get better. But Moore is an extremely hard worker, too, that's in the system that knows how the NFL, how Pat Meyer's framework functions. And I, I just don't want to assume anything about Broderick Jones taking this job out of the gate. I think Mark Gorsak even addressed that topic a tiny bit, didn't he? That's a great segue, Dave. You want to get to Mark Gorsak right now and uh, get his thoughts on all things Steelers? Let's do it. All right, we'll take a break and come back with Mark. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And well, for a second time on the podcast, and we are excited to bring him back. And uh, the already written his first article for Steelers Depot is former Pittsburgh Steelers scout Mark Gorsick. His first article 
went up about a week ago. Tremendous reception. I think people are really excited to hear more from you, Mark. So we figured, hey, let's have you back on the show. Hey, I appreciate that. I, I, I enjoyed the last podcast, and I like to be an irregular on the terrible podcast. Right. <laughs> Great. We'll, we'll, we'll gladly accommodate that. Yeah, we're excited for it. So let's just dive in. And, and you'd mentioned something before we began to, to record this, uh, Mark, that Mike Tomlin, yesterdaysteelers.com, they post one of Tomlin's uh, speeches, I believe, in the morning before the, the day of work, before practice, that's gotten a lot of buzz on social media. And, and those are the behind the scenes things that I, that I know that you saw all the time. Those are things that Steeler fans like Dave and I do not get to see on a regular basis. So kind of talk about that aspect of how Tomlin approaches, especially spring work before the team breaks, comes back for training camp, but things really ramp up. Things really start to get intense as the, as the season nears and some of that culture aspect with this rookie class in particular, as they kind of get their first exposure to the NFL and how Mike Tomlin runs things. I think that that video yesterday was real powerful. One, because Mike's a prolific speaker, of course, okay? But he tells the truth. And what he does is every year, okay, rookie minicamp, he does the exact same thing every year because the faces are new. And if there are some repeat offenders in there, they need to hear it again, okay? You know, any day you can go ahead and reinforce something. Like one one of the first things, well, in the old days, the first slide was always good morning, men. And there was a picture of Debo, James Harrison, looking at you cross-eyed like he's going to kill you. Okay. But then, you know, you know when Debo left, you know, he, he says that. It's the first thing. Good morning, man. Everybody says good morning. But uh, one of his first slides in rookie minicamp, and he'll do it again in, in, in regular OTAs when it starts also, is the first rule to getting better is to show up. Okay. And that's what he addressed yesterday, expectations. Okay. The expectations is to get better. It's not about putting time in. You know, it's not like, uh, you, you know how it is. Sometimes in college when you're scouting players and all that stuff, they want to get to the league and they're satisfied with what they're doing at that particular moment time in college, but they're not getting better. Okay. They need a better challenge. And you got to realize too, man, first rule, you know, you know, to get better is to show up. Hey, man, this ain't college, man. This is people's livelihoods. You know, the guy you competing against for that roster spot, you got a wife and two kids. You know, he needs the job. You know, that's how he's supporting. That's how he's eating. And you want to eat also. But that, I just think that's really important. And then the second slide usually shows thought of the day. Listening is a skill. Because you'll be amazed how many of these young men just don't listen. You know, you know, it is a skill. It's not hearing it. It's about listening to it and believing it. And having an effect. And again, you saw that yesterday. I, I think that uh, you know there's a shock shock factor to it. You know, and these things are like everyday drills. Drills a position coach would do that he does all the time. They need to hear it and need to hear it again. It's not like uh, Eddie Eddie our running back coach. You know, I don't know how many drills he got. You know, but he has a drill all the time. I, right. All different. Look, he doesn't repeat many of them. Let's put it that way. And then uh, he always dressed particularly the rookies. We don't care by what means you got here. In other words, he don't care about draft status. He don't care if you're a free agent. He doesn't care if you're, you know, you're reclaimed. He doesn't care. He wants to know what can you do to contribute to the team. That status don't mean anything. It means something to Omar because he's tied up in salary cap stuff. Okay, if you're a high draft choice. But, you know, we've had, you know, draft choices don't make it, that don't play. You know, we screwed up. You know, but he doesn't care. He's going to play the guys. It's going to make make the ball club. You know, Jalen Warren, Betty Snell, Jalen. You know, right. don't care. 
Mark, just, go ahead. Mark, how, how hard is it from, uh, you know, around this time and on into training camp to, to, to prevent these guys from counting numbers, you know, because look, I mean, especially in the day that, you know, in the age of the internet with so much out there on social media, and we write about it all off season, 53 man roster predictions and practice squad, uh, uh, guys. And yeah. And you know, the inevitable, uh, comments will be made about, uh, just a training camp body, how hard, what, you know, Go into kind of the messages maybe that you've seen Tomlin try to send and the position coaches of getting these guys not to count numbers in the room. I think they want to count the numbers, okay, because now they know who they're competing against. you got to realize this is a collection of men involved in competition based upon production. That's why free agents make it. The long shots, the Jalen Warrens, who we go down the list on the average, I think it's too uh, – I think it's two almost it's two free agents per team makes the National Football League's roster. Okay. And I'm, I'm talking about 32 teams. There's they at least two make a team. Okay. And, and that's been that holds pretty much true. But you better count numbers, man, because I want to know who I'm competing against. You know, I gotta get better. You gotta realize the people at the bottom of the roster, okay, some of your frontline guys aren't gonna get as much start, as much reps in practice. You know, you look at Cam Haywood, he's not going to get that many reps in practice. You're going to cut his reps down. They want to save him. One, he's established. Two, he's an older player. You know, we did the same thing with Ben. So if you're a young dude, you're going to get more reps than the starters. And you better cherish that and you better get better at it. Uh, case in point, uh, oh, who was our left tackle? Beecham. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Seventh rounder. Yeah, well. His position coach in college, uh, he, he not his position coach, he was a defensive line coach who had to hold up the cards on scout team. And he told me a story about Beecham when he was the offensive tackle on scout team for two years and he was getting his ass, ass, ass beat by the starters. He started figuring out that I'm getting more reps than anybody else. I'm going to study these guys. I'm going to find out how to feed him. I'm going to go ahead and get better. And then the defensive line coach used to hold up the cars. He used to say that when they went to one-on-ones, offense versus defense, he was the guy, he he was looking ahead to see who he was going against. And if he thought it was a weaker competition, he asked the guy, maybe two two players above him, two players in front of him, hey, can I, can I jump in front of you? I want to go against him. And it was probably the best player on the team because he knew he had to get better. And these, these guys at the bottom end of the rosters, if you're getting more reps, you got to maximize that. You know, I would want to go against the best people every single day. That's why it's really cool when Mike uh, calls out matchups, you know, you know, with the first day of pads when they go uh, backs on backers, you know, you know, make some of those guys go a couple different times, you know, in a row, just because of the fact he wants to see competition. So you better count the numbers. I want to know who I'm competing against. I want to get better. I want to beat that dude. Mark, in your experience, and I understand right now it's OTAs, they're not in pads, we're not here to really evaluate too critically, but there's a story that Jim Nagy once told that they drafted a receiver when he was a scout in Seattle, and they knew those first couple practices in OTAs, this is not the guy we thought we were getting. How quickly do you kind of get a feel for what the rookies look like, or do you really feel like you have to wait a while to, to fully evaluate them or can you get a sense of a guy like okay this guy's going to be a guy or this guy has something to really work on that's a concern can you can you tell about that quickly or does that take more time 
I think, you know, every individual is unique. Okay. The people you could tell quickly are those people can't learn. Okay. okay? Can't pick it up. They don't know how to practice. Okay. Where they're, you know, Mike always calls them the original domino. Okay. Because they don't know how to practice. They die, they fall, they cause everybody else to fall. You know, one, because they're overly aggressive, they can't play under control, and football's playing under control. And he stresses that, come to balance, okay? Because if not, if you're the original domino, you might be a bad athlete, and you're going to hurt somebody because you're on the ground. You never want anybody on the ground. So that that's one aspect of it. You know, you can tell those people who listen, who can learn. You know, the rest of it, you know, sometimes you don't know until they put those pads on and you get in that one-on-one combat situation. Again, the best drill we ever do is when we go backs on backers and we got the tight ends in there too, and they have to go ahead and block man versus man. And you either get exposed or you're going to find out who the tough guys are. And that's how Jalen made it. You know, that, you know, when he, when he had to go ahead and, and, and stick his foot in the ground, you know, on backs on backers and take on a backer. And that's what made him. That way you knew you had a fight. Okay. You knew you had you had a guy with some dog in him. <laughs> Dave? Uh Mark, uh, we, we we keep these pro day trackers uh right at a finger's tip, you know, uh and, and obviously uh, uh track you guys as you go across the pro days and all. And one guy that uh, we have have had a lot of uh discussions about you know, since, uh, well, really since he was drafted and, and now specifically after his rookie season is DeMarvin Leal. And looking back, I think, uh, and it was kind of questionable. We, uh, it looks like potentially uh, you were at the Texas A&M Pro Day. A, is that true? Uh, B, uh, you know, we, it, it still seems to be a mystery about DeMarvin Leal and, and his usage. Now, it does sound like he is closer to 300 pounds and really has been. He was used more as a, that tweener, but we really don't have a good sense, you know, based on the tape and his usage from last season of what he really is or can be uh, in, 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 in that defense. So can you speak a little bit about you know, hey, were you at that Texas A&M Pro Day last year? Uh, what what did you see when it came to a guy like DeMarvin Leal, and where do you expect him to go? Hey, I was there. Our D-line coach was there, and we had a wonderful steak dinner before that. And Dunbar took him out the day after because he had he had visits all lined up. There's not a lot of big people out there, man. The bigs, baby. You know, he's with big. You know, you may say he's not 300 pounds. It doesn't matter. He's a big man. He has the frame. He has pass rush skills. He knows how to use his hands. Does it really matter if he's playing at the end, you know, spell somebody at the defensive end spot, okay, instead of inside? Does it really matter? Because he's going to play inside, too. you got a guy who has you know, position flexibility. That's a pass rusher. You can't, you can't find those guys, especially people can use their hands. Anybody can bull rush. Okay, bull rush is lazy man way out. Dunbar will tell you that. Mike Tomlin will tell you that. Terrell Austin will tell you that. Anybody can bull rush. That's lazy. He can use his hands in, 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 in a fashion of moving forward. So he's a football player. I wouldn't worry about all that stuff. Is he inside, outside, or anything like that? Is he productive? Is he disruptive? Okay, don't get caught up in sacks either because – not everyone uh, gets sacks, and there's people who are, who are disruptive, and that's production. You know, you you look at it. 
you know, how did uh, Highsmith make all this? Were they all one-on-one by himself? Or did he have some help with things being flushed, too, to make the play, too? And that's what you always got to look at. How, how concerned are you against uh, uh, when, when scouting him against how he would progress against the run? Uh, I wasn't worried about it at all, to tell you the truth, because we are in a passing league. Now it seems like the trend is going to revert back to the run based upon last year, but we're not certain about that yet. Okay, I think that's one of the reasons why we drafted uh, Benton in the in Benton because Benton it is that run stopper. Okay, that you need. He's probably the closest out of all the rookies of uh, playing the quickest. If you had to pick one guy right now, you know, particularly in our division, when you start looking at the uh, play action stuff that uh, Cleveland does. Okay, they run the ball very effectively, but they do with play action. Then you start looking at uh, Baltimore Ravens. Highly effective run team using a fullback. Now they use it probably a little bit more than, than before, but those are two effective run run teams right there. You know, so you're going to need that just to play uh, AFC North football. How, how much? How much? Real, real quick. Uh, how much do you find? And I've heard Jim Nagy uh, talk about this as well. I like too. Jim, by the way. Jim's a good dude. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, what I think, he's... I'm I'm probably going to work for him in the fall and do some Senior Bowl scouting for him. So fantastic, uh, because uh, yeah, and one of the things that 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 we you know we've heard him talk about. And look, when when we write up our scouting reports for the site and all like that, you know, we 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 do the good, the bad, and 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 the intangibles and and all like that. But uh, he's more, he hates to hear, you know, he, he's not a fan of people uh, uh, highlighting so much the, the things that players can't do. He want he, he believes more the focus should be on what a player can do. Uh, is that kind of the mentality that, that, that scouts should have Focus more on what this player can do, what, where you know where his ceiling can be based on that you know I, I guess what I'm getting at is is how much emphasis in scouting reports uh at 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 that level is you know revolves around what a player can't do versus what a player can do well you want to do both sides of you want to bring out the positives based upon the run and pass game because everything's predicated upon run and pass except for the special teams even a quarterback has a as a run pass element. Okay. But you're hoping that your better players, they have a ton of positives and very few negatives. The biggest thing is a summary. Where does he fit in at? Okay. Not only if the Pittsburgh Steelers are within the league. Okay. You may think, well, why you got to worry about the league? Well, if you don't draft him, you're going to be playing against him. Does that make sense to you? A lot of times, Mike acknowledges, hey, man, I'm just here to window shop. I know we ain't going to get that guy because he said it so many times and he's so right, you know, but he wants to know because I'll be playing against that guy. There's sometimes we don't spend a lot of time on the quarterbacks. If you have a quarterback and we were blessed to have one with Ben for so long now with Kenny, but you're going to be playing against that quarterback. So Mike wants to know all about him. He's going to watch him. He's going to study him. You know, so you want to have more positives and negatives. You always want to dwell on the positives because what can he do? Good coaches put position players in position, do what they do best. You know, and uh, you know, I know sometimes we, you know, some coaches miss that point at times, but that's what you want to do as a good coach. 
And of course, for Mike Tomlin, as his offseason has proven, sometimes those guys he'll, he'll meet, he gets back four or five years later when they become free agents. Landon Roberts, yeah. Alan Robinson at that yeah. pro day. So that, that's I think that's really unique. Mark, I was going to ask you, you had mentioned uh, Netflix is coming out with a series called Quarterback, which will feature Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota. What kind of drew you to, to that? What are you going to look for whenever that drops? And I just want to ask you more broadly about what are your expectations for Kenny Pickett in year two? What do you think he needs to work on the most for him to take a jump and for the Steelers team to make a jump? Uh, just to touch on Kenny, you know, like I said before, you know, he loves his process and all, all that stuff. I th- I just think it's, it's, it's about getting the command of the offense and, and, and just being the leader. And he's showing all that right now. That story is going to be written. We're not sure what's going to happen, how, how much of a jump he'll make. And nobody was sure about Patrick Mahomes either when he sat for a year and then all of a sudden he took off to what he is today. You know, like I said, you can't, you know, I, I try not to look into the future too much because I'm more worried about today. I'm more worried about, you know, giving quality information to you and the audience. And also I'm doing the Mont Valley Hall of Fame uh, dinner tonight. I got to be the uh, Toastmaster for that. I'm more worried about making sure I'm going to be here. But it'll be great. Yeah. So we don't know about the candy situation, but everything's looking positive. You know, those guys watch OTAs and all everything, you know, they, everybody has an opinion. I'm okay with it. I respect that opinion, but let's wait and see. But the uh, the quarterback series, I watched the trailer. I thought it was pretty cool looking because you got Patrick Mahomes. He's mic'd up and he says some things with confidence and conviction. And then you got uh, Mr. Humility himself, Kirk Cousins, who I don't think gets enough uh, positive publicity because of the fact that he hasn't taken him to a Super Bowl and he's making a ton of money. But he's just making a going rate. You know, it's like you want to play, you know, when you, you want a plumber, you're going to pay that going rate. You ain't getting something, nothing cheap. So, and then uh, Mariota, because here he is, he's a stopgap guy. Uh, how's he going to handle that? He knows he has someone they drafted looking looking behind him, you know, won his job. And I just think it's a fascinating chemistry because you got a guy who's up top, middle, low, and following them and how they interact and learn how how they are as people. You know, they all have families. They all care. You know, sometimes uh, we miss the point about how sensitive we should be to people's families when we say some things negative too. So I just think it'd be a fascinating inside series and learn about how people compete and they're on three different levels. Yeah. Can't wait for that. I just want to ask you one more about Kenny looking back whenever he came out when you were, and I know that wasn't necessarily your territory, but him of course being a local guy, was there anything new the team learned about Pickett when they really had that, that draft season process when you talked with them more, when you scouted him more was there anything new or was because he's a five-year guy at Pitt he's right next door you didn't really learn anything new you just kind of confirmed that he was who he was yeah we just knew everything about him and when you know Mark Whipple whip whip coached here and he's good friends of ours on stuff so it wasn't like you see those guys outside at Pitt all the time watching us you know and or you you walk through the building you know I go over Pitt side and you know you know you know I, I probably I go, I go every, I, I'm one of those connectors. I go, I'll go through the pit building just to go ahead and rattle some chains over there and say hi to people and all that stuff and give people some grief and all that, you know? So, you know, everything about those people over there, you know, same thing of Aaron Donald. We knew everything about Aaron. 
We just didn't know where to use them at and until you know Dick LeBeau goes, Oh, I don't worry about him. You give them to me, I'll find a use. <laughs> so and Aaron's that dude you see him working out in the indoor facility with uh, D Brown yet and all that stuff. And he comes over, gives you a big hug and all that stuff. So that, that pit connection, you know, you just don't know. You just know so much about him. Let's uh, let's uh, talk about a few. We're, we're going to bounce all over the place on here. Uh, 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 Mark, uh, talk about a few draft picks here. I believe you're at the uh, Purdue Pro Day. Obviously, the uh, Steelers drafted Corey Trice Jr. Uh, in the seventh round. Uh, what do you believe? What what kind of grade did you have? If you're able to reveal it, what kind of round grade did you have on him? You know, what are kind of some of his strengths and weaknesses, and why why do you think he was still on the board? You know, there yeah, I think there was a few maybe injury concerns with him or some position, you know, questions about maybe where he would play in the NFL. Just uh, you know, kind kind of talk about Corey Trice Jr. I had a fourth round grade on tell you the truth. So <laughs> wow, not, we never drafted him. You know, you got you got to realize there's only so many slots and all that stuff. You get down to about the fifth round, uh, after, you know, midway through the fifth round, they, they become free agents, great free agents. Okay, because there's only you, the way you look at it. You know, you you do you times uh, thirty two times uh, the number of rounds and compensatory picks, and you only really need about about one hundred and fifty guys, really one hundred fifty eight guys. You know, the draft from, but I had a fourth round grade on him. I, I wanted to draft him in the third day someplace. Okay. And get him into the seventh rounds of steel because he has size, height, weight, speed, number one. Uh, he was academic all American. Yeah. He has some injuries. And I believe he had a, a, a someone in his family passed away, if I remember correctly, and all that stuff. But, but the bottom line was uh, everybody was arguing was he a safety? Is he a nickel backer? Is he a corner? And, you know, the proof in the pudding is where did he play at? He played corner. Okay. And he played towards the boundary, got a lot of action, having to tackle, you know, so outstanding to get a guy like that in the seventh round. I'm sure there was other people who wanted him also, you know, and, you know, you hear all the draft stuff before that. Someone wanted him before someone wanted him after and all that stuff. All I know is we got him. We're real happy with him. Alex, where'd you, uh, what, what, what grade do you have on him, Alex? Yeah, I yeah. thought on talent, he'd be like a, a late day two guy. Um, I think it was because he was a safety initially at Purdue. They moved yeah. in the corner. There were the, he tore his ACL. He had broken ankle in high school. I mean, there were some, some injury concerns there. So uh, you, do you think that sometimes those guys where there's that debate about where this guy fits, where he plays, do you think that kind of gets, do people lose focus of, can this guy play or not? They get too wrapped up in what is he in terms of specific position and probably less focused on can this guy play? Because to me, on day three, you're just getting guys who can play, guys that can make your team best, better and can, can actually make your roster. It all goes back, you know, what, what are the positives? You know, let's not dwell on the negatives. Let's, let's dwell. What does he do well? He played corner. Yeah, Mike, Mike T, he's, he's a big proponent. He shows me this on tape. What leads me that he can't play it? Does that make sense? Why do we need to have to change him? You know, we're betting on the comp. We're betting on the unknown that he can play this position. And you do that occasionally and all that stuff. But, you know, what what makes you think he can't play? Because he's shown us he could play it at a high level. You know, so let's keep him where he's at. And then once you get him within the system and all the stuff and you see how much he can process information, it's kind of like Minka. 
Minka didn't like moving all over in the Miami offense, in Miami defense, because he wanted to be a free safety. Well, he came here and he was a free safety, but then we transitioned him because you know, Minka started to realize his value and we approached it different than what Miami did. And he accepted it and he loved it and he thrived in it, you know, quite evidently, you know. So you see, we move Minka around, but his true his true position is still center field where he makes the biggest impact. But he's a good little fixer for us, good little adjuster when we, when we need him in all those empty sets. Can you expand on that in terms you said you approached it differently? How did you guys approach it differently? How did you frame it differently to get Minka to buy into moving around more? I'm not quite sure about that. That I know all I know is the coaches have a great way of communicating and teaching. And Mike T is one of the best ones. It's in Terrell at that time also. You know, so you know, you don't have to ask them that question. But all I know is that they're good communicators. You know, they're good teachers. And, and I think that's important. I think some people don't teach well. You know, and those two individuals definitely teach well, particularly that position. And Mike, I think Mike can coach anything to be truthful with you. He's a very, very perceptive person. My last question for you, Mark, and I'll let Dave finish things out. You wanted to talk about, I think, the first two games of the year. Is that is that regular season you're talking about with San Francisco? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We find a home opener. You know? <laughs> you're, looking ahead. you're looking ahead. I thought you were the, the, the today guy. I am, but it's just it's warm weather for a change. <laughs> usually we don't play a home game until uh the second the, the third usually weekend, you know? Right. And all of a sudden you get that tease where, oh man, I'm I'm in shorts and t-shirt, even though <laughs> I need long pants and a long sleeve tee. But you know, but now we're opening up against a good quality team. Uh you know, 49ers. I don't care who their quarterback is, they're gonna be a well-coached and well-defensive team and God, Mike was already studying them before uh, rookie minicamp, for God's sakes. You know, he's going over all, all their strengths and weaknesses. You know, it's like all coaches, particularly college coaches, before they go on a break, they usually have the first four games broken down. You know, whether we have that done, I'm not quite sure. But I just know when I was a college coach, we couldn't we couldn't go on, on, on our, our summer break until we have four games broken down on all the opponents, okay, for the first four, for the first four games. And uh, but Mike was watching and, and it's fascinating to watch him because of the fact that, you know, they got so many avatars on uh, offense. You know, it's kind of like Debo. What is he? Is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? They use him both ways. He's listed as a wide receiver. You got the running back, uh, uh, Christian. OK, what is he? Is he a running back or a receiver? They play him a wide receiver, but he's listed as a running back. Then you got the tight end, Kittle. Uh, is he a Y? Okay, stationary tight end on line scrimmage. Is he an F, a pass receiver? Is he an H, moving around behind the line of scrimmage? You know, is he a fullback? You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. They got three interchangeable parts, can play all over the place, position flexibility. They can go ahead and morph and catch you into a heavy run defense and all of a sudden split back out to, uh, you know, wide open, empty set. And now you're caught in our heavy run defense. What do you play? What a chess match. You know, I just think it's going to be fascinating to watch the battles of of uh, the, the two head coaches and what they're going to try to do to each other. And plus it's going to be warm weather and it's, it's a home opener. Hope for a chance. <laughs> right. And then the second game we played uh, Cleveland Monday night football. And uh, you know, that's a, that's important. You know, it's, it's an NFC North battle. Okay. That's important. And then that weekend you got a three game uh, Yankee series. What a great sports weekend. <laughs> Are you kidding me? 
You know, I don't care if the Pirates are in it or not to go ahead and see them play the Yankees. Last year was phenomenal. We had that two-game series. I went to the first game. And uh, it was like I was probably 65, maybe 70 percent Yankee fans. And they were giving us all kind of grief. OK. And then uh, we had a one run lead in the first game. We talked. Uh, it was the bottom of the ninth, two outs. Uh, I think it had men on second and third judges up and strikes out. Man, you should have seen that outfield. Because I, I left. I left. I actually got a friend of mine gave me home plate clubs. And I went out to the outfield. And those Yankee fans were obnoxious. <laughs> and when Judge struck out to, and we won that game, man, there was empty beer cups flying at him. It was all kinds of stuff. You know, everybody was talking <laughs> back to the Yankees because we didn't have any, you know, no, no wiggle room. Sure. The next day they, they beat the heck out of us. But, but uh, you know, if we continue on the tramp to Pirates, man, that'd be a heck of a series with, you know, whether they're good or bad at that time period, I don't care. Be a great sports weekend. That's what Pittsburgh is all about. I'm going I'm to end you with this. Talk about another draft pick here. Uh, and it was one that was probably one of the more predictable ones because of the whole family dynamic and, and you know, the Steelers need for, you know, probably taking a mid-round edge rusher there this year. Uh, talking, of course, about Nick Herbig. Now, I don't believe you were at the Wisconsin Pro Day, but the, the discussion, even though it was, at, at, uh, you know, a fairly predictable uh, pick, for the Steelers overall, you know, we've had tons of conversations about the whole uh, size with him and the measurables. And I know we talked about that a little bit with you, you know, the first time we had you on there. Uh, what do you think are the realistic I mean, he, you know, as you, as I believe you said, you know, he's, he's a pass rusher. You know, what, what he does is he gets after the pass rusher, but where, where do you see his trajectory going? You know, a lot of us feel that eventually he's probably going to have to move uh, off the ball and, and, and potentially, but, but it, you know, obviously through uh, OTAs and all and mini camp at this time, it seems like he's been on the edge here. Uh, And then kind of tacking onto that, even though he wasn't in, you know, your area, so to speak, how how much how much do you are you tasked with scouting the guys maybe outside of your area? Well, he was in my area. I went to school visit twice. I liked him both times. Yeah, he doesn't have ideal size, but darn it, he's a football player. Plus, what's unique about him is he's really good in coverage. He's a good space player too. He's one of those guys give you a position flexibility. And I think once he starts learning the defense, first you start him off his natural position, but he dropped into coverage and flat coverage and carried and carried tight ends and all that stuff. And you watch the Wisconsin and you like that. Now you got a guy that, you know, like uh, you don't want TJ to do a spot drop into the flat. You want that dude to rush. Right. Okay? But sometimes when you're rushing four, you're going to have to drop one off because what you want to do is try to disguise and bring someone up the middle, whether it's a, a safety, whether it's a linebacker, middle back or inside. So someone has to cover and he's made for that type of thing because you're always going really, really, really way that everything's done today. You rush four, you just don't want people to know which four. Right. Okay? You don't want the same four. You got to mix it up. Okay, so you, so when you stunt, and he's ideal, he can cover. I wouldn't be shocked after a while he moves into a middle linebacker situation, and, and then and then uh, he bumps into the outside edge and go has a 
to go ahead, go ahead and rush his or, or he's won the blitzers on the inside. But he has coverage skills, man. He's the ideal dude. Probably had nothing to do with it. It was his ability, okay, and his skill set. So just to give you a heads up on that. Plus, he's a great young man, too. To follow up with, with Dave points just really quickly in terms of the, the cross checks, how how did you guys cross check in Pittsburgh? Was that how did they divvy up? Were you just kind of given a batch of guys, or was it by position, uh, or how did those? It, it, it's done two ways, okay. You got your national scouts who are going to come in and also look at. You know, if I'm an area scout, which I am, you know, you'll have national scouts come in there too and, and look at it. And then at the end of the year, uh, Andy was really good about giving us all position cross check. I actually had all the edge guys. Okay. okay. So I looked at all the edge guys, you know, you know, I, not all of them, but I had, a, you know, I got a list of, I think it was 30 guys and some of the guys already did too. So I was familiar with them, you know, just to get reacquainted with them. If I saw them early, early and just look at later tape, but it's pretty thorough. You know, you're going to get three looks on these guys. You know, plus you got your position coach, you got the coordinator, and you got the head coach. Mike watches a ton of tape. Okay. He, he make no doubt about that. He knows something about everybody in the whole draft. You know, and that's what's great to have a head coach that way. Bill was that way too. You know, and, and you know, that's that's what you want in a head coach. He doesn't want to rely just on his assistants. He wants to rely on his eyes too. And our assistants did a great job, particularly the coordinators as well as the position coaches. And there's and you know it's tough, man, when you're you're a coordinator and you're looking at a lot of dudes, man. You know, it's a lot of players. You know, when you're uh the linebacker coach or a position coach, man, it's easy, man. You're a specialist. You know, you're only looking at one. All of a sudden, uh, you know, Tara Austin, he might be looking at uh, a team that has a, a top linebacker, okay, and a nose tackle and and and, and uh, a safety. You know, Wisconsin has some other defensive players too, and we took two of them. So his job's not easy. You know, he's looking at multiple players, you know, and Mike T is looking at multiple players also. So, but that's how that whole works. So it's a thorough process. And Omar did a great job pulling it all together, you know, helping blend them into a steeler with Mike and, and our head and our, and our head and our owner. We're, our, we're, we're, we're going to run long here, but I don't care. Hey, <laughs> where my, my dryer just went off. I, I could dry those clothes later. I, I, well, later. I, I, I just, I, we, we've had other talks too. talk about uh, a, a draft pick from a couple of years ago in Kendrick green. Uh, we got to, and, and look, we, we had watched, you know, uh, uh, tape on him, obviously mostly a guard at, at Illinois he comes in to the Steelers and a, he wasn't on a lot of our radars, uh, in the middle rounds there because you know, size and what the Steelers have done in the past and all like that. It just, it, it, it felt right from the start and the tape showed this as well too. Once they put him in there at center four or five games in, that there was this was just a misevaluation here, and look, I I, I realize it that you know mostly what you're going, you know your your viewpoints are on the positive sides here, but can you talk maybe about Kendrick Green specifically, and if you do think maybe there was a misevaluation in there, what you see the prospects are the rest of the summer for him? I, I know that's more negatively slanted, but I think some. Yeah, what do you got to be negative for? Uh, you know, yeah. I think some people want to want want to see that aspect of of maybe why teams miss. 
I don't think we really missed per se. I just think it was one of those things where we were desperate for a center and we were trying to create one. Okay. I think right. we and that, brought, that make that makes a lot of sense being you know look, look looking at the team at the time. Yeah, if we could have brought him along a lot slower, but we didn't have any offensive linemen. Okay. We didn't have a center. You know, we didn't, you know, we rushed some guys into the fire, you know, that you would like to have uh taken, you know, we're like you know, is is the left tackle going to start over Dan Moore? I don't know, but I bet you first game of the season, Dan Moore is that left tackle. You know what happens after that? That's up to uh, the competition. It's up to the number one pick to make a move. Same thing at the tight end. Same everything. You know, it's about competition. But sometimes you get thrown in the fire a lot, you know, too quickly, and and sometimes you just can't catch up to it. Okay. We got an interesting uh, battle right now when you start looking at it. You know, we got a really deep offensive line. I think they're all players, and there's going to be an odd man out in the whole situation. It's just the nature of the beast. You're not going to be able to carry everybody. And some of these guys are going to have uh, value that someone may want to trade for. And you would hate to go ahead and uh, say say one of the guys at the bottom, you know, one of the guys in the, you know, not, not going to make the ball club isn't a good football player because they are. And you would like to get some value back and some type of compensation drafting. Are you talking so, specifically maybe about Kevin Dotson? I'm not talking about – I'm talking about all of them because okay. we don't know. We, Kevin, he may be the starter yet. You know, we can't assume anything in this process. You know, like I said, it's competition, man. People are fighting for, for, for work, to, you know, to feed their families and to eat. But, you know, the bottom line is it's kind of like – remember when we had Hank Fraley? Right. Okay, undrafted free agent, Robert Morris and all that stuff, you know. Well, man, we had injuries at center. Two centers went down. We put him in at center versus the Cowboys in a, in a preseason game, and he just blew it up. He had a career game, you know, and he was pulling from the center, center spot, hitting targets in space, killing people in this preseason game. And we thought, eh, we could put him on practice squad. Man. He got claimed in a heartbeat, and the rest is history. He played what by eight years. You know, he was on off star, and now he's a hell of a coach. You know, and uh, you know, you wish you would have got something for Hank Fraley now, don't you? You know, so you know, if you think you're going to slide a guy who has good game game production onto uh, the practice squad, or if you're going to cut him, you don't think he's going to play, man? Shame on you, particularly offensive linemen. Linemen are valuable in this league. You know, a lot of them were late round draft choices. A lot of them were free agents. A lot of guards were former tackles, okay, in college. So there's going to be a premium on whoever we release, and hopefully, we can work a deal out and get some type of compensation, anything for for somebody. You know, you see, you know, seventh rounder is pretty good if if uh, Purdue corner works out. So we'll find out, won't we? So that's my take on it. And I just think we rushed him a little bit too much, too fast, and. You know, sometimes you have to do that based upon your talent level. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Mark, thank you so much. We don't want those clothes to get too wrinkly, so we'll let you go. And I uh, really appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. No problem. Appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. Our thanks to Mark Orsak and Dave. We are just so happy to have him part of the show from time to time. Uh, he's already got a second article he's working on, which should be a bit more technical in nature than the first, but uh, a ton of great feedback and reception to us uh, having 
Forsick is one part of the depot team and uh, some tremendous insight and stories there. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to learn how to not try to uh, put the 10 pounds in the five pound <laughs> bag every time we have him on. You know, you, you, you're you so excited because of his background uh, and obviously the knowledge that he has that you you figure, man, just one more one more question. One, you know, there, there's so much racing. So I think we'll get more comfortable uh, with him on, you know, appearing on the show and him more with us as well, too. Uh, uh, moving forward here, but uh, it is hard not to ask 80 questions uh, in your mind's racing, uh, at least in these first couple of appearances here, uh, because there's just so much knowledge that you want to uh, to tap into. And boy, we went, went we went all over the place with him today, didn't we? Yeah, it, it, we didn't want it to be the interview of just kind of your background as a scout, your time in Pittsburgh. Just want to get his thoughts like anyone else, like you and I talking Steelers, talking about, you know, the guys and a little bit more about the, the present day roster. So appreciate Mark for playing ball with us. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dave, speaking of the rookies, which we covered quite a bit with uh, with Mark, you have a great article this morning on Steelers Depot that people should be checking out. It's entitled explaining why the Steelers have yet to sign their top three 2023 draft picks. And there's some really good information there. And I know that the new CBAs have the rookie contract slotted. So most people think, what is there even to debate or haggle over? Basically, all the the framework and parameters of these contracts are established by the the CBA where these guys get drafted. But there are still some things for agents and teams to haggle over. So kind of walk us through Jones, Porter and Benton, why those deals have not been done and what those obstacles might be that are in the way. Yeah, and I go pretty in depth with this. I think you you'll agree here with 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 these top three picks here. So I don't want to give away the whole kit and caboodle here. I'd like people to read the article if they have time uh, this weekend here. But uh, the 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 nitty gritty here. Let's start with Broderick Jones here. Uh, and look, you know, all, you, we already know uh, within a couple of pennies of what these deals are going to total out at. We know what the uh, signing bonus is going to be. What a lot of people don't realize. Is, is is the things that 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 can be negotiated and specifically with Broderick Jones uh the the biggest thing with him uh, that that I believe is is a hold up and I checked with Daniel Salib who really is an an authority on uh and an enthusiast when it comes to NFL contracts and all like that is how is the time frame of the payout of the signing bonus. And, you know, he, he reiterated to me that the Steelers usually pay 75 to 85% of the signing bonus of their first round draft picks within the fifth, first 15 uh, days of them signing their contracts and then the rest in October. So more than likely the real, and the whole thing's going to be fully guaranteed where, where, where Broderick Jones is slotted. That's probably, that, that shouldn't be any other negotiation here where the haggling still is, is probably uh, the holdup of how much is paid uh, to uh, uh, Broderick Jones within X amount of day, you know, how, how much a percentage of the signing bonus is paid to him within the first, let's say, 15 days of him signing the contract and what the payment schedule kind of looks like uh, after that. Now, I think there's still a couple of uh, players on either side of him in that first round that are still unsigned uh, there. But I, I, you know, I and and Daniel uh, Salib, you know, agree with me here that the biggest holdup with him right now is probably the signing bonus payout. 
uh, time frame structure overall, because there's really not much really to negotiate with the rest of it, with it being a fully guaranteed mm-hmm. uh, contract there. So uh, he might very well end up being the first of these three remaining draft picks to, 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 to get signed here, to be quite honest with you. Joey Porter Jr. is someone that we talked about in previously uh, in, in previous episodes here. Uh, the f- and, and I think it's mostly related to where he, was selected. Remember, he was the 32nd overall selection, and in a normal draft, that's the uh, last pick of the first round there. Well, obviously, the, the Dolphins had to forfeit their first round selection, and even though Joey Porter's technically uh, uh, a, a second round draft pick, his side is probably wanting him treated more as if he was a first round selection, meaning that the, the push for uh, a higher percentage of his fourth and final year uh, to to be fully guaranteed. Now, when you look at uh, uh, how this thing has gone with these uh, picks after him, and remember that Will Levis, who is a quarterback right at, who was picked right after him, remains unsigned as well too. The trends with the percentage of the fourth and final year right now really dictate that Levis get 25% of his fourth and final year fully guaranteed and then bumping up 5% from there that Porter get 30% of his fourth and final year uh, 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 guaranteed. But there's going to be the push with Levis being a quarterback and then obviously the push uh, for a higher percentage because his side's going to want him treated more like a, a first round draft pick. Now, uh, while they might push for a you know first four years being fully guaranteed, man, I'll I will be shocked if the Steelers cave in that area of there. However, I think that it will be higher than thirty percent of his fourth and final uh, final year to be fully guaranteed. Where the give and take within that is what I believe to be the biggest holdup with him. And Levis' side uh, probably doesn't want to sign until they see what Porter does. And this wild, wild west standoff. Right, right. And Porter's side, to some degree, is probably going to be tied to what Levis uh, gets with, with the percentage of the fourth and final year there. So, this could be a don't blink situation that carries on a little bit longer. You know, we're, it will be interesting to see. And I think he's obviously going to sign before training camp gets underway, but heck we've got what six weeks or so before that happens here. You could realist. I don't think it's out of the question to think that either Levis or Porter jr. Become ultimately become the final member of the draft class to to sign because I I you know I think there's going to be that much uh wait and see of what you know what what the fourth year payout is as far as fully guaranteed money. Once again of the, the entire draft class is what you're saying the entire right, NFL right, draft the, class. The okay. entire draft class and there's still quite a few you mm-hmm. know uh, 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 kids, you know, even past the third round that, that remain unsigned. Now, I think you're going to start obviously seeing these fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders who aren't signed, uh, come to terms fairly quickly, quickly here now at mandatory minicamp. But, uh, long story short, I, I, it, it might be a while, uh, for Porter Jr. to sign. And it, I, I, I believe that it's going to be related to how much of that 
fourth year is guaranteed. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we we had spoken about this a couple weeks back and both agreed that Porter might be the last guy for Pittsburgh to get done just because of that unique and tricky nature of being that 32nd overall pick for all the parameters and, and adding Levis on top of that's, you know, a really good point as well. Yeah, with Jones, you know, it's interesting because I think people think about signing bonuses and just assume that a player gets a lump sum the second they sign. That can't happen. I know Pat Fryman, we've talked about that, that whenever he second round pick whenever he assigned his contract he got a signing bonus in one lump sum i think 14 days after he signed his contract but it can vary it can change from team to team and and guy to guy there's no uniform rule where every player gets it in the same exact way so there's some some haggling there what about keanu benton what's the deal with him and look every year the the these agents want to push the push the finish line down further right you know, yeah, that's her job. Uh, and, and, and we have seen that. And I think that's going to play into a little bit with Keanu Benton as well, too. And most and, and the hold up with him uh, is probably related to the third year uh, of his contract. Look, we expect the first two years of his deal uh, based on everything that's happened and previously happened. And and this year for his first two years, be fully guaranteed. But how much percentage of his the third year of his contract is going to be uh uh, the big question here and the, the the players drafted immediately before him and after him J- uh, Cody Mock and Jaden Reed uh, I think uh, both those guys remain unsigned right now and I think Mock is the most interesting domino uh, in all this and once again you know I got with uh, 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 Salib on this as well too uh, Mock figures to be the key domino in this group of the three players between him uh, Benton and Reed, and that's due to where uh, Mock was picked by the Buccaneers this year. Last year, uh, the Washington Commanders uh, selected uh, uh, Federian Mathis 47th overall in the draft, and he got 8% of the third year of his rookie contract uh, guaranteed. Uh, according to 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 Salib, uh, he was the last player to receive any third year guarantees. Now, Mock this year is one pick after uh, uh, Mathis being the 47th last year. So they're going to try to push that line uh, down at least a spot. Uh, and, you know, the speculation is that he should be able to maybe to get at least 8% or more of his third year guaranteed. And then in turn, if that line gets pushed down to him, then Benton's side's going to want to push to, to be the the end of the line where it becomes uh, a certain percentage of mm-hmm. let's say five percent of his third year guaranteed as well too so I think the thing to watch here this is I'm, I'm pretty much guaranteed uh, I'm pretty much convinced that the hold up here is the percentage of the third year money that is guaranteed for for Keanu Benton and I think uh Cody mock uh, is the key domino in all this to watch. Now, within all that on both sides, uh, Benton, quite honestly, is right in the middle of still a large group of players that remain unsigned. But I think because if you look back at last year with Mathis being the line in the sand where it came to third year uh, guarantees and then Mock being one pick after that this year, that's going to be the interesting line in, in, in the sand. And obviously if he, if he is able to push that bar to eight, 10%, then, you know, Benton doesn't want to be the end of the line, right? <laughs> you, you know, there. So I think that's where the holdup uh, is on him at this point. 
it's a game of musical chairs and you want to be sitting down when the music stops, you know, you'll be that guy standing up there awkwardly. So that, that's the hold up. And, and I should have mentioned this before the discussion began. All these guys will be signed before training camp. There's not a risk of a holdout here. Those are those days are are long and over with, but it just may take some time for these ones to get done before training camp. And look, people say these, these players need to stop being greedy, yada, yada. But look, you know, nothing's guaranteed in the, you know, in this world, right? Things happen. So, and that's the agent's job is to keep pushing the envelope and get their client uh, as much guaranteed money as possible. Yeah, if you're paying the agent, what's an agent fee these days? Three percent, five percent. Oh Lord, I, I'll have to get. I, I haven't researched that aspect in years. So yeah, uh, next time we but, have Joel Corey on, we'll have to ask about that. They're getting a cut, is the point. So they better do their job and try to get the player as much money as much guaranteed, because guaranteed is is the only number that really matters with contracts. Everything else is just kind of window dressing, and it's up to the team and who the heck knows. It's kind of pretend money in a in a sense. The guaranteed money is, is what matters, and you're seeing here is most of these discussions are revolving around the guarantees of the contract. Right, right. And 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 different years for each one of them. Right. But it is funny to say to be like, can you get 8% of that 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 third year like they, but those are the things that are left to haggle over because right. you don't you can't haggle over the the overall structure of the deals anymore. That's what the NFL slotting has done. So there's always things to uh to discuss though. Right. So if you're wondering why those three, it's mainly related to where they are and the, uh, where they were selected and the lines in the sand from the previous year. Has any player held out since the uh, CBA was created in what, 2011 for these rookie deals? Has uh, there ever been a holdout? I, I'm putting you on the spot here. I apologize. Yeah, I, I, it see, I can't off the top of my head. I, it seems like there has been an instance of, or, or two of, of them, one maybe not being signed. Did I'll, Malik I'll McDowell, did he have, when he ever got in that uh, ATV accident with Seattle, I don't know if he had signed his contract yet. And so that might've been a special exception. Do you remember that whole situation? Yeah, I, I don't to speak, you know, uh, you know, with, without a doubt on, I, I, I can't say. Uh, it looks like actually he had signed his contract before he got in the accident. So I don't think he was actually somebody that had an issue from from that aspect. But OK, uh, it doesn't really matter. Point is, those guys will will be signed, sealed, delivered, ready to go come July 26th. They should be. <laughs> they should be. I know you're I, we, we have to get the qualifier there, but I we you have no real you're not losing any sleep nah, over nah. The, these deals getting done. OK. Nah. Fair enough. All right, Dave, to wrap things up, I know these are not Steelers related and I'm not always the most enthusiastic to talk about them, but they are kind of in the news right now. And the news cycle is relatively slow. The Bears are reportedly unhappy with Chase Claypool, who has been hampered by an injury of some sort during OTA. It's been pretty limited. And so there's been some reports and scuttlebutt from some of the Bears radio guys over there saying the team is not too happy with the way Claypool is handling things on or off the field. Yeah, you kind of wonder where the middle is on all this, right? Uh, you got radio guys, and then you got coaches, you know, saying, saying, you know, m- maybe things to the contrary and all like that. I think the fact of the matter is that you know he's not working fully right now, and I think that's that that's a concern uh, to the Bears, especially when you when you consider what they gave up for him and and everything of that nature. Now, 
how much of this has to do with 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 Claypool and his you know we we don't know all we know is 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 what's out there and obviously the one side the media side radio guys are saying that they heard that uh, the Bears aren't happy uh, where things are at right now with Chase Claypool and uh, it will be interesting to watch this play out. Obviously, the rest of the summer uh, with him, especially. Uh, look, I, the steer, and we didn't really cover this. The Steelers have a couple of guys not going full right now for whatever reason, right? Firemuth and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, Pickens running around without a helmet or something along those lines. You don't know uh, what these guys are actually dealing with. You know, is it something that maybe happened in training? Is it something maybe to happen during during a practice or whatnot? And teams it, will be cautious right now. Right, as they should be. right, right, right. Exactly with that. So I, 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 you know, with what happens during OTAs and mandatory mini camp, you know, I'm I find myself less concerned about. Uh, I get more concerned when they get into training camp, actually. So it will be interesting to watch what happens with him, you know, from a from a former Steeler perspective uh, uh, moving forward. And obviously, once it gets into the regular season uh, with him, because right now, uh, especially based on the end of last season and to where we're at uh, at this point of, of the offseason, it looks like they made a big mistake. But, you know, that narrative can change in a heartbeat. I think the reason why there's a bit more urgency and concern over Claypool missing time in the spring is because, you know, he gets traded midseason last year, thrown into the offense, you know, obviously not that productive. This is supposed to be like you hit the ground running type year. And he's this is last year of his rookie contract. So there's there's a a lot of things on the line there for Chicago and for and for Claypool. So the hope was, okay, he has a full offseason, can can work and get brought in the system like everybody else. And now you're losing those reps and there's some urgency for him, for this Bears team to pick things up, to have a good offense, to really help Justin Fields progress in his career as a passer, not just a runner. So I think that's probably why there's more angst to it, because the plan was for Claypool to really have the whole 2023 season to get acclimated in the offense. And now that's kind of being slowed down. I mean, this realistic and, you know, a lot of people kind of speculated, well, okay, they, 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 uh, the bears traded for Claypool, you know, is this going to end up with him getting an extension this off season, you know, or else, or, or are they going to run the risk of him being a one in however many game rental, uh, one year and, and, and how, you know, how many games do he play for them? Well, uh, actually, the back he, half of the year. Yeah. Uh, but how many actual games did he, you know, sure. he was, he, I think he was banged up uh, uh, last year with them as well too, but uh, I can look uh, anyway with him. I mean, we, we both agree. It would be surprising if he signs an extension at this point, right? Yeah. I don't think there's an appetite to do that. Uh, he played in seven games last year for Chicago. So you know, they're going to play this year. What out. do you have Hopefully- stat wise? I just closed that. Wasn't good though. I mean, he was pretty much uninvolved. Now, again, you know, some people will say, and it's it's a fair point that he was thrown into the offense, really didn't have time to learn it, but 14 catches for a buck 40 and no touchdowns. So 10 yards per catch, no touchdowns, really no impact plays. I think it just go you you, you end the conversation with him. It's still hard to believe that uh, Omar Khan was able to get uh, the 32nd overall pick for him. Yep, that's my takeaway as well. Also, uh, Antonio Brown back in the news, and I am I am as loath to discuss AB as anybody that you're going to see, but there are some, I guess, sort of football-related things. Tomorrow is supposed to be the day that AB put on the pads and played for his Albany Empire Arena League team. That is not going to happen because the Albany Empire are no longer part of the National Arena League. They have been kicked out. 
apparently over failure to pay some of their assessment and some of the the league dues essentially brown was fined a thousand dollars for his comments taking shots at the uh league and uh, he's refused to pay that although i guess he's been kicked out so there's nothing there to make him pay anymore um and he says they're going to the arena football league next year so it's all it's all gone down south for the albany albany empire and what ab's done over there oh imagine that we we Mm -hmm. they're neat this this example of a train wreck watching a train wreck watching a train wreck uh you just wonder where you know I have said for a while, I worry about him just from a, you know, uh, overall mentality aspect of it. You know, you just wonder how deep, how much deeper he's going to, uh, fall, you know, where, where is the bottom, uh, for him? Uh, fantastic wide receiver, obviously when he was with the Steelers and so the things that he put together in those five, six seasons will be hard to be topped and all, but you just, he just can't seem to get out of his own way. You know, uh, he needs, he needs a better support system around him. I think, uh, first and foremost, and then he has to allow that support system to help him. And it's just, it just seems like even though he's technically out of the NFL at this point, it seems like there's every week there's something about him, you know? And sure. I mean, I, I feel bad for him overall, to be quite honest with you. It's it's a sad, it's a sad situation. I think he had done and conducted an interview the day before this news broke and he just seemed unwell. And that's why I don't talk about AB that much. I know we're that's probably the best way for me to classify it. He, feel, he, he, he seems unwell. Yeah. And I, I, again, I know we're talking about it. We're giving it attention right now, but I, I just, yeah, I think there's something obviously unwell with a guy. And so I don't want to be somebody that piles on too much, but I, I will just end on this. There was a really good uh, news package put together by, I believe his name is Griffin Haas. He's one of the local sports reporters up there and talked about, you know, how proud this Albany umpire franchise was before AB. They'd won the national title in the, in the league the last two years, had a really revered and respected head coach. and. AB comes in and a couple months later, we're, we're at, we're at today. It's gone. So really sad to see. Um, I hope AB gets the help that he needs. Um, unfortunately, we've said that many times before and it really has not felt like it's come to fruition. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the situation though. So AB's not going to play this weekend. He claims they'll be in the arena football league next year. Who the heck knows if that's going to happen? I, I don't know. He's still owner of the team. He has controlling rights over the team. I don't know if there's a way to, to change that or not, but that is just the uh, situation with Antonio Brown. All right. Uh, I'm sure people will, uh, are ready for us to end the AB segment. Yeah, I think we're pretty light on reader emails. So we can probably just close out today's show. And I guess we'll have to discuss if we want to do the Tuesday, Thursday schedule because we're going to get into that real lull of the season uh, before training camp, but uh, we'll come back sometime next week. Yeah. And I've got a, uh, we'll, we'll have a Monday show. I think. Uh, oh I, yeah. I, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be gone. I guess we should have Monday show, right? Yeah. And, uh, but uh, Monday, you know, uh, Monday afternoon, I have to fight uh, the, uh, the big, uh, the big snake again. Uh, got some, got another colonoscopy i gotta get taken care of but uh, that will be after the monday show that we'll have to play the rest of the week uh by ear there so uh in in the meantime uh oh uh uh tj watt on the ben roethlisberger podcast 
Sunday night, right? That's supposed to drop. So we'll have some things to write and probably maybe talk about uh, on the Monday show related to that. that. That should be a fun interview. It will be. I'm excited for it. Although, please stop putting them Sunday night, Ben. I want to have my Sunday nights back <laughs> instead of writing about TJ Watt. But uh, yeah, we'll, so yeah, we'll come back Monday for sure. Talk about that, whatever else happens, and uh, the rest of the week kind of to be determined. All right. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button up right, navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version, at a site, steedersdepot.com. Hit the ad free button, upright navigational bar. So, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, until Monday, as always, thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with Dave and Alex. <laughs>